All right, family, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us at one of our campuses or online, wherever in the world you might be. We are excited that you're here. I wanna say happy birthday to all the Marines in the house. Thankful for you guys. Simplify. Appreciate you. If you're new here, I wanna catch you up a little bit. For the last couple weeks, we've been in a series on the book of Colossians. It was written by a guy named Paul. It's four chapters long. Paul was writing to the people in Colossae, a place he had never been, a people that he didn't know because a guy that Paul had discipled and raised up named Epaphras had been in their presence and some false teachers had come in and were spreading some just bad teaching. And so Paul speaks very directly to them. In fact, the book of Colossians gives us some of the strongest language about Jesus in the New Testament on the supremacy of Christ. And Paul knew if, if they could get a clear picture of who Jesus was, it would impact everything about their lives. Last week we got about midway through chapter three, so we're gonna start off today a little bit in chapter three and move on to uh, chapter four. But before we get started, I wanna take just a minute. It's a special weekend here at Seacoast and that it is Veterans Day weekend. And we don't take the freedom, the gift it is for us to be able to join as a church family and worship together lightly. We know that our freedom is something that was fought for. And so if you serve in an active duty or retired military in any capacity, would you take a minute and just stand to your feet for us so we can celebrate you? No lame claps here at all the campuses, let them know. Look around at all these folks. That is awesome. That is awesome. We can come in and out of this place or any campus weekly and just forget that our freedom to worship is something that was fought for us. One of the reasons that I wear my dad's dog tag so regularly just to remember him, remember where I came from, but you may not hear it every day, but we want you to know just how thankful that we are for you. There's also something to that that I just wanna raise some awareness of this weekend, every single day, on average, 22 retired military, 22 vets commit suicide. And for each of us, because we've never walked in their shoes, we've never been to the places or experienced the fight, we don't understand, maybe you've never had PTSD, it's hard to relate to that, but the freedom that is fought for is one that comes at a great price to many of them personally. So just wanna raise awareness of that for the vets in your life, for you to commit to praying for them, befriending, just walking alongside, being aware of any way that you may serve or, or best care for them. So let's take a minute to pray for each of those folks that stood as we, as we get started and commit our, our time together today to the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for every man and woman that stood. We're so thankful for their service and sacrifice. You say greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, and we acknowledge their willingness to lay down their lives to fight for and preserve the freedoms that we enjoy every day. So I just pray that today they would sense your delight and pleasure, that there would be a blessing upon their lives from you. We're so thankful for their service and sacrifice. And God, we pray over our time together today. You tell us that your word does not return void. And so as we turn to it now, God, let us lay down any distractions or burdens or things we might be preoccupied with See what your spirit would say to us. We give you this time. Speak mightily, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago maybe, we had some neighbors move in up the street from us. And a young family, I have a teenage daughter and twin two-year-old boys, and they were new to the area. They moved here because the daughter had attended a high school where there had been a school shooting. 
and her best friend had been shot and killed. And so just tough season for her, tough season for their family. And so they moved here for a fresh start. Beautiful city, beautiful place, gonna, gonna have a fresh start. So the night they get here, they move the U-Haul in, pull some mattresses, couple things out of the U-Haul, gonna sleep, and the next day just hit it hard to start unpacking. And that night, the father had a heart attack and died. So just a devastating story, devastating just news. And so the family, as you can imagine, is just crushed. And that day, about 20 or 30 of our neighbors just start coming over to the house. They unpack the U-Haul, they get furniture moved into bedrooms, get furniture set up, people unpack the kitchen. Uh, they, they develop a meal train of, of families around the neighborhood. They didn't know anybody here. Get them set up to have food delivered to their house. Neighbors start going around finding kids that are about the same age as their kids to try to help them make some friends. Guys came over and put together their two-year-olds, had this big play set in the backyard, which, guys, if you've ever put one of those together, you know it is a feat of Jesus himself, <laughs> right? Just, just all that. And so Katie and I were out of town. Well, that Sunday, we get home, and some of the neighbors come over, knock on the door, say, hey, we just wanted you to know about something that happened up the road here. Some folks move in, they told us the story, and they said, we're just so glad you're here. We wanted you to know, because we knew you would be just better qualified to, to care for them. I was like, really? Like, y'all, y'all put the swing set together? <laughs> set, up a, set up a meal, try and unpack the kitchen? Like, moved in all the furniture? Like, they didn't need a sermon, you know, like, they didn't need a pat, like, you were the hands and feet of Jesus, you did the stuff. That's all I would have done, you didn't need, you didn't need me. But it just led me to question, is my, is my calling as a pastor to move towards people that are in pain, to care for the hurting, to care for those in need. Is my calling as a pastor any different from the call that God had on any one of their lives as neighbors? One person said no, they know. <laughs> no, it's no different, it's no different. If you were to stretch that truth out of my neighborhood, across all of Mount Pleasant, here at the West Ashley campus, North Charleston, cover the state of South Carolina and North Carolina, is the calling that God has on my life as a pastor any different than the call he has on all of our lives as believers to care for those who are in need? No, it's no different. Look at these two verses here on your outline. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, he has saved us. Everybody say us. He has saved us. He has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He's called us as a people, not the pastors and the people, but all of us as a community of faith to a holy life, to be a people who are set apart, to live at a, a different standard, to represent him. Second Corinthians 5.20 says it this way, we, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, through all of us as believers. God is appealing to a world that is lost and broken and hurting. You know, the majority of the heroes of our faith, the people that we read about in the Bible, their everyday lives looked a lot more like yours than they do mine. They weren't professional pastors at some church somewhere, they were business owners. They were hardworking people living in and among others that didn't share the same faith. I got a couple examples for you there on your outline. Abraham, for example, was an entrepreneur. That passage, Genesis 13, 2, says Abraham was wealthy, so you know he wasn't a pastor. 
<laughs> he was wealthy from livestock and gold and silver. He had a lot of stuff going on, hardworking guy. Isaac was a farmer. David was a shepherd. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Matthew worked for the IRS, so you know God can use anybody, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. Paul, this is an interesting text, Paul was a tent maker. Acts 18, one through three says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker as they were. He stayed there and worked with them. So the guy, Paul, who would go on to write the majority of the New Testament was a hardworking guy. He was making tents for a living. That's what was putting food on the table. It's easy for us to read this book and associate it with these people who God definitely had an amazing call on their life. But I'm just a school teacher. I'm just a business owner. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Well, the truth is, the majority of these people's lives looked a lot more like yours than mine. You know, culturally, we like to, we like to label things, put them in a, a certain box so that we can understand how they operate or who they are. And this thing that we're experiencing here today would be labeled as sacred. We're in the house of God, among the people of God, doing the things that this holy book tell us to do, worshiping him and spending time in his word and prayer and going after him. That's a sacred act. Well, the label that we would put on our work week, Monday through Friday, would be secular. The things of this world, working in and among, living next door to people who don't share the same faith as we do. And my question for us is which of these two people groups, the, the sacred or the secular, which one of those did Jesus come to save? He said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He came for the lost sheep of Israel. The Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Culturally, we like to separate things as sacred and secular, but the truth is that the secular is sacred. God's plan is that he's positioned each of us, he's called each of us to go and live in and among, to sell goods, to provide services to people who aren't of the same faith, to people who don't know him or love him or walk with him. We are his plan. We are his ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So as we go on into the rest of Colossians chapter three, Paul goes on to provide a picture, paint a picture of how important it is what we do. That's the first blank there on your outline. What we do is so important. Colossians 3, 16 through 17 there on your outline. I'm gonna kind of go verse by verse or word by word here just for a little bit so that we can see what Paul is saying. He starts off by saying, let the message of Christ, let the message of Christ, depending on where you read in scripture, that's referred to as, as the gospel of Jesus Christ or the good news, and it's simply this. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What I have earned because of my sin is separation from God. But God so loved you, he so loved me that he sent his son born of a virgin as a baby to live a sinless life, that he would take my sin upon himself, that he would pay the price for my sin in full on the cross, that he would raise from the grave conquering sin and death, that whosoever would believe in him, would put their faith in him, put their trust in Jesus, would not perish 
but have everlasting life. That's good news. He says, let the message of Christ, let the good news dwell among you richly. Let it dwell among you. Meaning it's not something that you pull out on Sunday mornings. It's not something that you pull out on you know, evenings before dinner time as you go to pray. But let the message of Jesus, let this good news dwell among you. I love the way I put the message translation there at the bottom of the outline. It says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. It's not a seasonal item. It got me thinking about it. it just started getting cold here in Charleston. That's kind of like 80 degrees, but it's kind of chilly, you know what I mean? And so in our house, uh, there's two tubs that we pull out when it starts getting cold, and one of which is Katie's. Hers is a closed toe shoe tub. Try to say that three times fast. And mine has some winter jackets. And now they're not like legitimate winter jackets, but it's like, I kinda like outerwear, and so it's really like a bunch of lightweight like vests, you know what I'm saying, just so I can feel like it's cold and I'm doing something that <laughs> resembles winter, right? We did go to the Asheville campuses first Wednesday this past week, and uh, I was not expecting leaving Charleston weather, getting out in Charleston. I think I got a prayer language, getting out of the car. Pastor Sam and I were literally running from the car inside the building. I wasn't ready for that. But Paul is saying the good news about Jesus isn't a seasonal item. It's not something we pull out at Christmas or Easter. He's saying let it have the run of the house, that it would change everything about your life. That's what Paul was trying to stress to them. If you could just see Jesus clearly, if you could, if you could get hold of the love that he has for you, it will change everything about your life. Last year when Katie and I sold our house, we had a friend who helps stage homes come over and kind of help us get ready, what are buyers looking for, and one of her, some of her feedback for us was, you're gonna have to get all this Jesus out of the house. Said so your buyers might not be believers. And it's gonna be hard for them to get a vision of them living here when all they see is Jesus and crosses and passages. And I'm like, man, listen, come Monday morning, my mouth needs to remember it's been saved. You know, like, I, gotta, I need some verses, I need some crosses. You know, is that really a thing, you know? But Paul is saying, let the message have run of the house. Let it change everything about your lives. Let it dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I love the way the message says that. It says, instruct and direct one another using good common sense. <laughs> some of y'all could use some good common sense. You know what I mean? Pretty straightforward. So he goes on from there, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then this line, and whatever you do. Will you say that with me? Whatever you do. Such a broad umbrella, right? I have so many conversations with people questioning, what is God's call on my life? What's his purpose for my life? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, some people have a very specific call. But for the majority of us, the call is to occupy the place that he's put us. To be the husband God's called me to be. To be the teacher he's positioned you to be. To be the mom, to be the dad, to be the student. Whatever you do, Paul says, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I wanna take just a minute and hang out there on word and deed. How would it, it change your words if everything that you said you had to say in Jesus' name. I tend to be a morning person. I wake up happy, 
little, little dance in my step. You know, it's a new day. I'm alive, doggone it, God did it again. It's gonna be a great day, you know? Excited to be awake. Well, every now and then when I get up, if my boys, all of our kids kind of get up by themselves, get themselves ready, get breakfast, the whole deal. Well, every now and then I'll hear some grumbling downstairs about uh, the other morning, for example, I had one of our boys saying, there's an emergency, there's an emergency. And I run downstairs and the other one had eaten all the Lucky Charms. I'm like, son, this is not an emergency. <laughs> you know, they'll be griping, complaining about something. And, and instead of coming downstairs and being like, hey, good morning, brethren. It's a good day. It's a good day in the Lord. Let's rid our hearts of anger, rage, malice. Extend grace for one another. Bless you, you know? I'll come downstairs and be like, son, I will cut your butt. If you do that, you know, I get so mad. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if I came down and said, son, I will cut your butt in Jesus' name. You tell me, you know, like, fear of God, come in the kitchen, right? We use that name sometimes, almost jokingly. Like, we'll say some things like, in Jesus' name, you know? But in Jesus' name, the guy who died on the cross for our sin, who paid the price in full that we would have a relationship with God, how would it change the words that came out of your mouth if you had to finish the sentence in Jesus' name? Man, it would impact my spoken word a lot of the time, my, my written word. Man, email is so tricky. Like, I'll write an email trying to be direct, not trying to be like, you know, mean, but I'll, I'll have my assistant, Lynn, read over an email and say, hey, I need to be direct about this, but I don't wanna be like sassy or whatever. Could you just read it and highlight if there's any emotion in it or things you would tweak? She'll give me the email back. That whole darn thing will be highlighted. Like, well, they could think that might sound like, what in the world? <laughs> you know? But it got me thinking, what if at the end of the email, instead of like, talk soon or thanks, you had to say, in Jesus' name, Josh. You know? <laughs> I'd stop sending email. I can't do it, you know? read too much emotion into that. Text messages. I'm not even gonna talk about social media. When we go to response time, you just go to the cross and repent, right? Pen it to the cross. If all of our words were spoken in Jesus' name, man, it would help me put a rein on my tongue because there's so many of my words, not, not intentionally, might be the tone, might actually be the words, but they don't bring glory to my Savior. Whatever you do in word or in deed, what would it look like for you to approach your everyday job in Jesus' name? Man, so many of us work in fields where all throughout the day, there's nobody looking over our shoulder. I think about our, our facilities team here at Mount Pleasant campus, especially just because I see them each week and many across all of our campuses. These men and women get here long before any of us do. They ensure that the building's awake, that the heat's on, the light's on, that it's clean, Nobody is walking up behind them, patting them on the back, even seeing their work ethic and the posture of their hearts, but they show up and they work hard. They prepare the house for us in Jesus' name so that we can show up and have a great worship experience together. Maybe some of you are in a job right now where nobody sees your work each day, and it would be easy for you to kind of mail it in or, or not really go after it, right, because there's nobody on you. But what would it look like? How would it change your work week if you approached everything you did in Jesus' name? What if when you got your paycheck every two weeks, it was signed by Jesus Christ? <laughs> or maybe at the end of your workday, you knew that 
you know, at some point, 5, 5.15, Jesus was gonna round the corner, sit down with you in your cubicle to say, hey, how'd you think that conversation went with Walters today? You know, like, I saw the way you talked to him, you know, or for any of you stay-at-home moms, what if once you got the kids down in bed, 7, 7.30, there was a knock at the door, and Jesus said, hey, I just wanna talk to you about how the day went. What did you think about uh, that four to six o'clock stretch? You know? <laughs> That's a struggle, right? <laughs> that is the hardest hours of the day as a parent. Let's be real, you know? But man, it would, it would wildly impact a lot of my deeds, how I approach the moments where I think nobody's looking, how I make it through the moments that are really hard in my day if I have to approach them in Jesus' name. What we do matters. It paints a picture to a world that is lost and far from God of what it looks like to be a man or a woman who is representing him. But it's not just what we do that matters, it's how we do it. That first blank there on the back of your outline, how we do it matters as well. How many of you know you can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and it not bring about the desired outcome? When my boys will, will be getting into something and I'll have to correct them, I'll say, buddy, do you understand? Say, yes, sir. Like, oh, no, you don't. You, you don't understand. <laughs> Buddy, do you understand? Yes, sir. It'll take me like three or four times until I get a yes, sir. You know, like, okay. Our attitude matters. Paul knew this. You can't just, can't just do the thing, whatever it is that you're called to. The posture of our hearts tells a story. And what Paul says here in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, he says, whatever you do, everybody say, whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Man, there are so many reasons that, that we don't approach things with our whole heart. Maybe for some of you, you feel undercompensated or you feel like your boss is a jerk or you're just not happy in this season, so you'll show up and your way of kind of sticking it to them is to just kind of get the job done. And maybe it's begrudgingly, you know, it, just, it is what it is. But I love Paul's language here of whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if you were working for the Lord. Regardless of how you feel about the boss, regardless of how you feel about the job, regardless of the last time you got a high five or a pay increase, he's saying approach your work as if you were working for the Lord. All the deeds unseen, he sees them all. All the times you just mailed it in, he's seen them all. Work at it with all of your heart. It reminds me of a guy named Bergen Hall at our McClellanville campus. A couple months ago, I was in line at Starbucks, or at Chick-fil-A in North Mount Pleasant, ordering my number one, two buffalo, two barbecue sauces. I like to call it buffacue, that's my favorite. It's gonna be a sauce one day, y'all gonna remember, I said it. So uh, it's my favorite. So I'm in line, I'm waiting, and I got my phone, you know, walking through the line, and I look out the window, and there's a, a guy there cutting the grass, and it's Bergen. And so, and I, and I like, I did a double take, and I find myself captivated staring at this dude because he's pushing a lawnmower, and he's doing it like hammer style. He's doing this number, pushing it. He goes in one arm, goes sidearm, like, uh, just going, I'm like, oh my, and so I get my, turn on my camera, I was like, I gotta capture, I gotta see, you know? All the way, you, many of you probably seen him. So I get through, I get my food, and I walk outside, he's still going at it. 
I'm eating fries, feeling guilty, thinking like, man, I should probably be doing something like that. I ain't never seen nobody cut their yard like that. I do now, but I had never seen anybody <laughs> in the future. And so I've got, I had to walk up to him, like in the midst of, of cutting the grass and tap him on the shoulder and he stopped and turned off the mower. I was like, what's the deal, man? <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? What do you mean, what's the deal? I was like, come on, bro. We've never, I've never seen anybody cut the grass like this. What's the deal? Like, why? Talk to me. What, what are you thinking? What's in your heart? And he said, man, listen. God woke me up today. He's letting me work out here in the sun. He's put breath in my lungs. I got this job and this team. I'm providing for my family. So I'm gonna show up and give it all I got. And I was like, man, is he ever. I ain't never seen Soul Train on the lawnmower, you know, just going after it. <laughs> but I think about him every time I step out to do the yard because there's so many jobs that can just be so monotonous, right, that I can approach and do just like everybody else does. But the way that Bergen was walking out, cutting the grass demanded attention. It captivated, I found myself watching him do something I've done a hundred times, just in awe of the passion and the enthusiasm with which he did it. How many of you know someone in your life that works at something with all of their heart? Any names come to mind? See a couple hands go up, not many. How we do what we do matters. And that's the third blank there on the outline. Why it matters. Why does it matter? When we approach all that we do in word and deed in Jesus' name, when we do it with our whole heart, what it does is build credibility for us so that when someone asks, why do you do that? We have the right to be heard. We work the same kind of jobs they do. We cut the same grass that they do. We shop at the same stores that they do. But when we do it in Jesus' name, with gratitude and joy in our hearts, people are gonna look at us and say, bro, what? Why do you do that with excellence like that? Why do you do that with such joy? And it gives us the credibility to be heard. Us doing the things, whatever it is that you're doing, in the place that God has called you to, is his plan for advancing the kingdom. People are gonna see you and take note that there's something different about you. So Paul goes on to kind of share his prayer. How could we be praying for him in this season? And it's that as he is making tents, as he is in chains, as he is doing the stuff that God has called him to do, he says, pray for us, that we might present the mystery of Christ, that we might present it clearly, that people would come to know him. Let's read it together. It's Colossians 4, two through six. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When we approach it in word or deed in his name, when we approach it with our whole heart, People are going to ask questions, and questions are the gateway to sharing the message of Jesus. So Paul here gives us three things, and man, the direction, or the, the tone in his language is so direct. And it was confronted for me in preparing for the message this week. So look at these three things that we can do to ensure that we are prepared for those moments. First thing he says is devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And the thought is this, what if, what if the fruit of those conversations, when people ask me, hey man, why do, you, why do you do the yard like that? What if the fruit of those conversations is picked in prayer 
long before we ever have the conversation with the people. If they enter into a conversation with us and because we have devoted ourselves to prayer, because we have been watchful, get this picture of me standing on my front porch looking around at all my neighbors' houses, just being watchful. What is God doing in their lives? How is he moving in that family? What is he doing in this relationship? Devote yourself to prayer and be watchful so that when those conversations come in the spirit, you're ready. God's present, something's gonna happen. I wish he would've used something like continue in prayer. You know, I tried to be honest with myself this week of like, okay, what words would I use to describe my prayer life? I would say important, absolutely important. I know that there's a spiritual reality that's unseen, that my battle is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms, and I combat that in prayer. I believe that prayer changes things. It's absolutely important. I would say that it's daily. I pray every day at some point over a meal or at night with Katie before we go to bed. It's consistent, those are all true. But devoted, like man, there are so few things in my life that I'm devoted. I'm devoted to my wife. I'm the only one that's called to be your husband. I'm devoted to raising my children. I'm the only one that's called to be their father. But he says be devoted in prayer and be watchful. Where, if you had to give me a few words for your prayer life, just think through what words would I use to describe it? Paul sets a bar here that's just something for us to aspire to. Not to feel guilty about in comparison with where ours is, but to always let us know, man, this is an area that I can grow. This is an area that I can push myself. Devote yourself to prayer. Number two, he says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. This one is especially hard for me because oftentimes if I'm on the way to a meeting, everything that happens from the time I leave my house or office until I get to the meeting is more a distraction than an opportunity. If I drive by an accident, I say a prayer while I pass by them. If I go into Starbucks to get a cup of coffee and I say to the barista, hey man, how you doing? He's pretty good but I can see something in his eyes or pick up something in the tone of his voice that I know he's not really doing good. Well, I don't really have time to dig into a conversation or press in there because I'm on my way to something else. But Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity. How would your calendar have to change in order to allow you to do that? Would you have to leave your house a little bit earlier? Would you maybe have to attack your selfishness. Man, that's a big part of it for me. If I'm going to do something, that, that's the problem. <laughs> like, I've got an agenda for something I want to accomplish and for me to make the most of every opportunity. And Jesus said, if any of you would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We've gotta be willing to die to ourselves. We've gotta be willing to die to our agenda. We've gotta be constantly available and watching. God, what are you doing? How do you wanna use me? to make the most of every opportunity, not just pass by opportunities that present themselves. Man, it's strong language, but it definitely gives me a vision of something to aspire to. Devote yourselves to prayer, make the most of every opportunity, and number three, be always full of grace. I kinda wish he would have said, you know, as you can, try to extend grace, <laughs> or when you're feeling up to it, show grace. Be always full of grace. 
For some of you, that looks like, you know, taking the kids to school in the morning. That was a tender time. It might look like the, the afternoon, four to six stretch. Guys, it might look like for you at the end of a workday, when you have been professional and patient and kind all day long, and man, it gets five o'clock and you're at the end of your rope. You just got a little bit of grace left and somebody's personality demands a lot of it. You know what I mean? Be always full of grace. To the person who has a moral failure, to the person who has an addiction, to the person who has mistreated you, to the neighbor who never does their yard, to the person that cuts you off in traffic, for the seacoaster that cuts you off when you're leaving church today, you know? <laughs> Be always full of grace. Be always full of grace. Like that's just not something we can do. I need his power at work within me. I can't fulfill any of these things apart from the work of God in my life. And I think that's why Paul was saying, pray for us. Like Paul couldn't do it. He said, pray for us, that we may present it clearly, that we may present it boldly, that we might make the most of every opportunity. And friends, we need that same prayer today. We need the Spirit of God at work in our lives, helping us to be watchful. God, show me, where are you working? What are you doing? Help me make the most of every opportunity in word and in deed. Help me to do it in your name, Jesus. Help me to approach my work wholeheartedly. Man, I don't wanna mail it in. I wanna cut my grass with a pep in my step, right? I wanna sell houses with passion. I wanna build a business and honor God in it. I wanna teach a class and shepherd these students like it's Jesus up here talking about social studies. To be captivating, to paint a picture for them of what abundant life looks like. That's the people he's called us to be, a holy people set apart. And the way that we are gonna build his kingdom is by each of us occupying the lane, the seat that he's putting us in and doing it in such a way to glorify him. A Couple days after I learned about that family that moved in up the road, I walked over just to meet them. And I didn't get to meet the mom that day, but I met the teenage daughter and the, the twin two-year-old boys. And they had a bunch of family in town. And all the family was asking me, trying to figure out why were all these people so nice? Like, is it the neighborhood? Like, is this just, a, did they get really fortunate in picking a good neighborhood? Or is it the South? Like, is everybody around here like this? Bringing food and casseroles? I'm like, yeah, kind of, yeah. And it wasn't just a Seacoast thing. They were believers whose hearts were hurting that were responding and serving and sacrificing. And church, I want you to know there is nothing unseen. Every time you step up in word or deed to represent Jesus, to be his ambassador, every time you do something with all of your heart, they may not come out and say it to you, but they're gonna ask somebody, what is it about these people? And lives are going to be transformed. It's up to God to bring about change in people's lives. But man, what can I do? I can show up today and bring my best in Jesus' name. I can approach the work he's called me to, whatever it is that you do wholeheartedly believing that supernaturally somehow God is gonna use it today to help advance his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, uh, for this book and I praise you, God, for your, your grace for me, knowing that there have been so many times in word and deed that I have not glorified you, knowing there's been so many times where I've approached a task or a job that you've called me to half-heartedly. So I just start today acknowledging that and, and repenting of it. God, I want my words 
I want my actions to set a standard for people that do not know you that would bring about questions. Why do you do that? That I might point them to you, that their lives would be transformed. So God, we just invite you into this time today. I pray against any spirit of condemnation or guilt or for the many ways that we drop the ball, for the ways that we may not prayer or pray how that we should, for the ways that we don't make the most of all of our opportunities or fail to extend grace to people. And we just invite your spirit to fill us. God, empower us to do the things that you've called us to do, that our lives would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.